an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. What I say sex and love addiction is, is really, it's really simply put, sex addiction side is we use our sexuality to manipulate and control and for power. So that can mean in a marriage, you could be in a marriage. And if you use your sexuality to manipulate and control and have power over your partner or anybody else, that is an addiction. You are using your sexuality. So it's not just some guy getting Mm. caught cheating on his wife that goes to sex rehab. Yes, we can be addicted to porn. Yes, we can be addicted to masturbation. Yes, there are people that go to massage parlors. There are all different aspects, but majority is when you use your sexuality to manipulate and control. Welcome to season two of Light from the Rabbit Hole. And boy, do I have a topic for you on this episode that you won't forget. This is such a great episode to kick off our season. My guest, Brianne Davis, is currently a working actress in Hollywood. She's written a book called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. And her book has actually hit bestseller four times in the last six months. This is a topic that nobody talks about. And I would say on a scale of one to 10, being considered one of the most secretive of the addictions, it's definitely a 10. Brianne shares her journey with me to nearly 12 years of sobriety. And yes, this is actually an addiction. And some of us don't even know we really suffer from it. I think you're going to be on the edge of your seat during this podcast and even more so when you read her book. Let's dive in. You always say when I was listening to your book that you're a C-lister from Hollywood, but I don't feel like you're a C-lister. I feel like you're an A minus. Oh, can I say that? (laughs) Sure. Go ahead. But I definitely am like, I'm a working actress. That is what I am. I hit the pavement auditioning. I have to go get a job. And as soon as I'm done with the job, I have to get another job and it's constant. Okay. So you're not an A minus. Maybe a B plus. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, thanks. So I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to introduce everybody to Brianne Davis, who is a Hollywood actress. And that's actually not even the most interesting thing about you, to be honest. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the most interesting thing about you is that you are in recovery from sex and love addiction. Yes. And I have never had anybody on the show to talk about this. And I'm a little obsessed because I just finished listening to your audiobook. I think I literally have like 10 minutes left in the final chapter. And I'm so pissed that I couldn't get it. I couldn't pull it together before we got on, but I've got the gist of it. So I think you got the gist of it. If you only have 10 minutes left, you pretty much know. I got the the bang. Yeah. So your book called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict has been out for how long? I think almost six months. Yeah. It's the longest title ever. And everybody's like, what is it called? And I'm like, it's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Yeah. It's been out for six months. Yeah. And it's doing really well, isn't it? I mean, yeah. For a book that is a Roma Clef fiction based on my real life, it's also a self-help book and like kind of like a chick lit book. So it's not like one type of book. It's not like romance. It's not like sci-fi, but yeah, it's doing really well. I hit bestseller, I think four times already. So yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I don't even know how we ended up finding each other. 
I either followed you, you, I'm going to say you followed me. Maybe. (laughs) Honestly, I don't remember. It could have been that because I follow a bunch of people and I love other women that podcast and put a message out there. So I could have followed you. I just don't remember. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you will now, right? Okay. Yes, of course I will. (laughs) I mean, you've been, you've listened a little bit to light from the rabbit hole podcast. So you have a little bit of an understanding of kind of what this is about, which is why it's such a perfect match to have Mm -hmm. you on the show. Yes. So I'm thrilled to have you. There's so many things to start with. First of all, we were joking right before the actual taping of this, that you're in LA, I'm in Oregon, you're in a sundress yes, or something, a yeah. night, a nighty. I mean, yeah. you look, you look amazing. And I am in a sweater with, I mean, this is bullshit. Like I know why? it's like the light and you're like the dark. <laughs> Jeez. I'm like, I know. And I'm like, why am I? Why am I, why am I here? Why am I in Portland? That's a side story. Anyway, what I loved about it is I was watching you on Instagram and I love the way that you kind of present your story and all the little fun clips and things that you do on. And I'm, first of all, I was like, well, how does she do all that stuff? I got to figure it out. You're good with it. And then I was like, wow, what's this about? And I started kind of digging in and looking and reading about it. And then on a side note went, wow, she's an actress. This is interesting, obviously with the title, the Hollywood title, but the fact that you just so boldly threw out kind of what this addiction is to normalize it is what really got me interested. And I reached out to you and I thought she's never going to respond, but then I always give everything to the universe Mm -hmm. as I know you do as well. And you responded to me in like 24 hours. Yeah, I respond to everybody because the the point of me coming out and, and giving a face to this horrible, deadly disease is that nobody talks about it. It's this shameful underground. People are bad at relationships. They choose unavailable people or they're always looking for somebody better. Swipe left, swipe right. Our society is amplifying it. And yeah. I've just seen over the almost 12 years, I have almost 12 years of recovery, but when I hit a decade, when I got my gold coin in my hand, all the hard work I did, eight years of intense therapy, working the steps, sponsoring people all over the world, speaking all over the world at recovery centers, I just had this overwhelming feeling at this meeting where I got my 10-year chip and it was like 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, they Mm. are suffering right now. They cannot connect to their sexuality. They are so disconnected from themselves. They're so disconnected from relationships. It's just, I was watching all these younger generations and I just can't imagine being in their shoes with everything amplified, especially with social media. So that's what really made me just like speak out about it. Cause I just had a lot of friends that committed suicide over this, be murdered over this. And I mm-hmm. had spoken jails for two and a half years, a women's jail. And every woman in there was suffering from sex and love addiction. So I yeah. know. I remember hearing that. I was telling you that like I had ordered the book and then somehow I didn't get the book in time. And I said, oh my God, screw it. I'm just going to do an audio. Mm-hmm. And I started listening to your book and your book is just absolutely engaging and fascinating. But there's a lot of sex talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff that like I would be listening while I was at the gym or <laughs> on a walk. And I'm just like, I got my AirPods in and I'm like, oh my God, can, can anybody hear? <laughs> nobody just heard that word. 
but I love the way you wrote it, Brianne, because it's a kind of a tongue in cheek because it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's some really funny parts about it, but it is a serious topic and you address the whole roller coaster of your addiction and, and then kind of how you came out of it and how you live today. And I love that. So I would love for you to talk about in this order, maybe just talk a little bit about the societal view Mm -hmm. and stigma around sex and love addiction, because people think when you say that people think it's funny. Oh yeah. And they think it's not real. They either, there's two reactions. They are like, Oh no, you're not. Cause I don't look like, I don't act like I don't like dress provocatively. I don't put my stuff out there. So they look at me and they're like, no, you're not. And then the other thing they think is like, oh man, I wish I would have met you when you were in your disease. And I'm like, ew, I know. And this is my response. I'm like, oh, you think it's attractive to use other people to fill that hole? Like, do you think that's a good quality for me to like go around in the world and use people? That's not a healthy thing. So yeah, what I say sex and love addiction is, is really, it's really simply put sex addiction side is we use our sexuality to manipulate and control and for power. So that can mean in a marriage, you could be in a marriage. And if you use your sexuality to manipulate and control and have power over your partner or anybody else, that is an addiction. You are using your sexuality. So it's not just some guy getting Mm. caught cheating on his wife that goes to sex rehab. Yes, we can be addicted to porn. Yes, we can be addicted to masturbation. Yes, there are people that go to massage parlors. There are all different aspects, but majority is when you use your sexuality to manipulate and control. Then the love addiction side, which Mm. usually you swing from one to the other, is being obsessed with romance, falling in love, having those butterflies and going after the unavailable person, going back to bad, toxic relationships, fantasizing. My favorite characteristic of a sex and love addict is we fantasize, manipulate and control others to fulfill our fantasy. And when they don't, we then blame them. Yeah. So I would get in these relationships and like want this person to be this fantasy in my mind. And the moment they didn't do that, I would then blame them. And it was like, how many times do people do that in relationships? So it's like this. And then on the other side, there's sexual anorexia, which I'm going to delve into in book two is where you're in a relationship and you're scared of intimacy. So you shut down sexually. And yeah, so underneath this love, sex, addiction, sexual anorexia, we're all afraid of abandonment, of being loved, of being worthy, of not having someone show up for us. So it's, that's really what's underneath and society just amplifies it. Yes. We put our sexuality out there. We're always looking for that like like me, give me the attention, the validation. That's another part of the love addiction where you're constantly looking for others to fill you. I call it, you're raping other people of their energy. So that could be friendships. Mm, Yeah, I realized, and I write about in the book that I even use my friendships, that I would be having a bad day and I would call a friend and want her to make my day better. And the moment she didn't, I would get off with her and go to somebody else. It was never about the other person. It was always what they mirrored for me. Yeah. It's a very narcissistic addiction. All addictions mm-hmm. really are, right? But oh, it, yeah. really, it really is. It's interesting when you define it because as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, and I know my husband's going to be 
laughing when he hears this because I'm thinking, well, sometimes if I want a new handbag, maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm asking for for that. And so, I mean, you're really kind of defining some ding, character- ding. <laughs> yeah, you're you're defining some characteristics that I'm just like, uh oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you, like, I candidly and openly, because everybody who listens to this podcast knows that, like, I have nothing to hide. I was listening to you and I, I came out one day and I was like, babe, like, I think I have this issue. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) what issue do you have now? And I was like, no, I, I don't think I still do, but I Mm -hmm. think I did by some of the things that she's talking about, especially when you talk about like the character defects yeah, yeah, and how your therapist helped you work through that. Like that was huge. Yeah, that's some brutal work. I mean, doing those character defects, a lot of people in society have character defects and they run their life. And when you don't look at why you do the things you do and the past behind them, you're never going to do any different. And it that's the thing. You said you did the work. And when you do the work, you can get out of those addictive behaviors. But when you're always looking outside of yourself to give yourself worth, whether it be a job, money, yeah. a relationship, as soon as I have this, I'll feel better. Better, yeah. that's when you get in the danger zone of you're always reaching outside of yourself. And that's what it's about. That's what we talk about alcohol and drugs a lot, right? Everybody, there's no stigma and shame if someone's an alcoholic, but underneath alcohol is usually a family problem. It's like yep. Al-Anon, but underneath that is the last stop is sex and love addiction. It's relationship issues. And that hits with family, with friends, with lovers. we They say that A is the last house on the block and that slaw, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, is like the shack in the back that like nobody wants to go to. It's like the bottom of the barrel. But when you do this work, and that's why I'm speaking about it, it changes your life. It changes the chemistry in your brain. It changes generations yeah. after you because- what happens is we all are reaching outside to find that soulmate, that person to complete us, to give us our worth. And you will never find it. You know what? I have to tell you the one thing I loved, I got to find this here, but the one thing that I loved the most listening to you was when you talked about, because this really resonated with me, when you talked about the realization that at the end of the day, at the end of your life, like Mm -hmm. it's you. Yep. There's nobody else. It's just you. Right. And you've got to love yourself and you have to feel that, that completeness of the fact that you, you are your own best friend, your own soulmate. Like when you, when you talked about, I don't want to give away too much about your book, but when you talked about marrying yourself, Yes. I was like, chapter 11, damn girl, that is amazing. Yeah, How did but, you come up with that? Like, well, because my moment of like, I call it the dark night of the soul. And I really talk about that in book two and I'm writing it now, but there's this moment I had when I was looking in the mirror and I was about to blow up my life. Once again, I was about to like start intriguing and flirting outside of my relationship, looking for the next best relationship because the butterflies were gone or whatever. Yeah. And I had this moment that I was on location shooting a movie in the dark, looking like broken. And I saw myself and I thought, oh my God, am I going to be doing this 
till I'm 80? Like, am I always going to have one foot in the door and one foot out and never connected completely to another soul? And that just crushed me. I said, I don't want to do that. And then it hit me like, wait a minute. I am still connected to a soul, even though I'm, I feel broken right now. I have to find myself love. And that was the moment that started the journey on. And when I realized I am my own fucking soulmate, no one's going to complete me. No one is ever going to give me what I need. This hole Mm -hmm. is too large and I have to do the work. And that's when I was like, oh my God, I'm going to marry myself. So that moment I walked through it in the book was like one of my proudest moments because I live and die with myself. No one's going with me. I literally teared up listening to that. I did (laughs) because I just was like, that is so authentic. It's just so beautiful. Well, you, you quoted something. I wrote this down because Mm -hmm. I was digging it and you probably know who the author is and I don't, but when you said there's nothing wrong with me, I have patterns to unlearn new behaviors to embody and wounds to heal, but there is nothing wrong with the core of me and who I am. I am unlearning generations of harm and remembering love. Yeah, I found, I saw that. I think that's the one I saw on the street corner that it was written on the pavement and it was such a God shot. It was like a moment like, oh, that's it. That's it. And I put it in my book. Yeah, I did dig for the author of it. I had to find that. I can't even remember off the top of my head, but yeah, I have a lot of moments. I put in there a lot of other people's work because they inspired me through my darkest time, through aha moments. So yeah, Yeah. it's really important for me to add those. And when I first started reading about it or listening to your audio, I was Mm -hmm. like thinking, is she going to talk about who these people are? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sitting there trying to guess. And you do such a good job of like covering everything up. But I was like, damn it, Brianne, I want to know. So you've got some really good stories, but I want it to be known that the addiction that you have was just like intensified because you were in Hollywood. Yeah, it wasn't because you were in Hollywood. Like, no, I had this addiction before I had this addiction when I was really young. I was always, and that's why I went back, like looking back at the why walking through the fire and letting it burn. You have to go back and look at where it started. So I had this addiction. It was going on generationally. I did my tree and like alcoholism was like three generations down in it. Every different generation before me, adapted it in a different way, like workaholism, overeating. So I didn't grow up in an alcoholic family, but I definitely grew up with family members that were addicts in other ways. So yeah, I, when I was writing the book and and talking about the people, Hollywood just... I go on set sometimes and I'm like, you're a second one, but you're sleeping with the wardrobe. You're doing this, you're doing this. And (laughs) but I could I can get sued. So I made it a fiction. So no one can ever sue me. I changed all the names to like cool girl, Oscar, action star, tattoo girl, glam girl, superstar. Yeah. So it's kind of like a fun game. You can try to figure it out. I only think one person has guessed correctly on one of the people, but I I didn't tell them yes or no. Yeah. You're like, I can't tell you. You talked about one part in your book where you realized that one of your really best friends, really Mm -hmm. close friends was really kind of a crutch, I think for you, very codependent relationship. And you had to break the chains there as well. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, I have to be honest. It is so much easier breaking up with the love interest, but yeah. when you have to break up with a friendship, what's toxic, what's not someone that's capable of showing up for you when it's not yeah. an equal relationship, that was more painful than breaking up with someone I was dating or been with for right. a while. So I really try to paint a whole picture of what this disease and getting out of it, because like I said, you have to clear up family members, you have to clear up friends, people go out of your life. A lot of people don't want you to be healthy either when yeah. there's codependence or emotional enmeshment with people and emotional incest with parents, things like that amplify this addiction. And it's just Letting go of friendships and doing this work is just so painful. I mean, I've grieved some losses. Yeah, I bet you have. I mean, you also talked a little bit about like the component around sexual abuse and that I that resonates with me because I I came from that background as well. But that's not the major like that's a section of people who have this addiction or this disease but not everyone has mm. been molested or raped or anything that are in this, you know. Yeah. And some people have this addiction and they're not in, their families are still married and they're not broken and they have healthy relationships. I know many family that come from healthy backgrounds, but majority come from toxic trauma backgrounds, but not all of, not all sex and love addicts have been sexually assaulted or abused or raped or any of that. But it's still sad. If you look at a statistic that one in three women have been sexually assaulted and one in six men have, and I have to tell you in the rooms, it's so beautiful because it's, all walks of life, all sexualities. And I, and I walk you through the book, like you saw what it's like to go through the program and in the room. And I'm sitting around with 50, 80 people, every age group, every ethnicity. And just to have the men sit there and say like, this happened to me. It's usually women that talk about it. It's just such a healing room to be in. It's the safest place in the world. Honestly, I rather hang out with a bunch of sex and love addicts in recovery than like anywhere in this world. I promise you it's like the safest place ever. Is it? Well, yes. did you, when you were starting out and going to these meetings, cause I know in the beginning you were relapsing and that kind of thing, but yeah, like, would you go to these meetings sometimes and be like, I wonder if there's going to be anybody cute here? Cause you were oh, still yeah. in your, yeah. Right. Cause you're Especially still in addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you go into a room and you're attracted to people, obviously, but (laughs) you know, if you're in your recovery, like I said, the first year of my recovery, I didn't talk to any men whatsoever. And that would even look like in the room. Most of the time I'd be looking down and not making eye contact because I realized I was raping other people over their energy constantly, even when I didn't mean to. And I talk about it you know, pulling up to that in and out burger when I was going yes. to speak at my first meeting when I was getting my six months in the room. And I remember pulling up and that 15-year-old pimply kid was like, oh, like found me attractive. And I kid you not, it was like heroin shot up my body. The power I felt over this 15-year-old drive through worker of in and out I was like, oh my God, I am so addicted. Yeah. That attention, that validation, that energy flowing to me. But yeah, when I go into the rooms, of course, I mean, there's like an A-list huge celebrity. There's like attracted people, normal people. Of course, you're going to be attracted to people. But here's the thing. 
there's so many boundaries in the room and I mm-hmm. have so many boundaries that no one flirts with me anymore. Yeah. And hits on me. It is the most freeing thing as a woman to walk in this world and no one tries to do that anymore. It's yeah. just, I, I, it's the best thing. And I thought I would be bored. And I thought I was like, wait, you mean I can't flirt or intrigue or get hit on or whistled or whatever, especially to women. And I have to say, it's like the most freeing thing. I love it. Yeah. That's why you're saying like, that's the safest place, like where mm-hmm. you feel the safest is being there. Yeah. Wow. So, and you're also, since you're in re- the recovery program, you have sponsees, right? Yes, I do. I do okay. have sponsees. That you're working with. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that the best part of being in a program? I feel like is just the giving back that you're oh, doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's the important? best thing. It keeps me sober. I mean, I go to more meetings now than I did 12 years ago. I go to really? almost four. Yeah. I go to 14 meetings a week. Shut up. Really? Yes. I mean, it's easier because it's on Zoom, but when it wasn't on Zoom, I was still going to seven meetings a week because it's like a massage for your soul. It's like a place you can go and say whatever you need to say in a respected place. No one's going to judge you if you have a slip or a bad day or any of that, or you need to make amends to somebody and talk it out. So I go to more meetings now. And why I do that is because I have to, I'm an addict. I have addict thoughts. I, if I don't show up for my recovery and be of service to other people, I will go into ego and which I call that edging God out. Like I will completely go into ego. It's all about me. What can I get from this situation? And the only way I can do that is turn my life over to something bigger, be of service for other people, go talk at recovery centers, talk at conferences for my clients, for my sponsees, to newcomers. So I have to do that because it's what keeps me sober. Wow. Mm -hmm. I just love that. I did not realize you were going to that many. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you're still a working actress. So how does that work for you? Have you been able to like have really clear boundaries for yourself of like, all right, this is definitely like, I'm not going to take this scene or I'm not going to do like, have you gotten to that point? I did one movie, which I I think I write about it later. I did one movie and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do a scene like that again. Like that, I don't, I don't want to do anymore. But honestly, like love scenes or romance scenes are so technical. And I write yes. about this in the book that they're not hot. So it's not like I'm going on set but I'm at meetings. I call my sponsor. I definitely try not to go into fantasy. My therapist said I picked the worst career for my addiction. Yeah. It's all I fantasy would, and being exactly, somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. So my husband has even directed me in love scenes because I've been in a couple of his movies. So I think when our communication with my husband is so clear and like I can tell him I've been triggered or I need to get to a meeting or so I think it's just over communicating and that he knows it has nothing to do with him. Like I tell people I work with, you could be the most perfect partner. And if you're, if your partner has a sex addiction or a sex and love addiction, it doesn't matter. You could have the perfect body. You could look like a supermodel. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with you. And this guy said something one time that it just cracked me up. He said, find the most, the hottest person in the world, like find the hottest. And I promise you someone's sick of fucking them. (laughs) 
Sorry, that's so vulgar. (laughs) But it's true. It's like it has nothing to do with the outsider. No, it doesn't. Oh my God, that is so good. I'm so glad you said that. Well, even with Glam Girl, I talk about it with Glam Girl. She's thinking her husband's going to change. And I just worked with her constantly for years being like, he's not going to change. It doesn't matter the size of your boobs or what great wife you are. If, if he is not willing to do the work for himself, there is nothing you can do to change him. And yeah, I always tell people, if you are with someone with this addiction, you got to look at a part of you going after the unavailable. You got to look at the part of you where it's like, where am I trying to get this unavailable person to love me? Because something inside of you is usually unavailable. I love that so much. It's interesting too, because there were so many parts of your story that resonated with me. And I think I was surprised by that. Yeah. Everybody is. I was surprised. surprised. (laughs) And I, right away, I was like, wait a minute, what's, what's going on? I literally was like, wow, I can understand exactly like the hole that you're trying to fill from things that we know is generational, but also starts from when we're really young or if something happens or whatever, right. That kind of gets us off course, Mm -hmm. but the journey that you take the readers and the listeners on is so powerful because you're, you're just painting all of the parts of this disease and not anything is the dirty, the, the the bad, the, the raw, but also the beautiful pieces of when you finally had to fight so hard, which you still do Mm -hmm. to be in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work and, but it's the best thing I've ever done. And I say that the work I've done on myself in this recovery, no one can take away from me. I earned it completely. They can take the money, the career. My husband can leave me. My son can leave me. All of that can be taken away. And this work is mine. I did it for myself, for my soul. And that is the best thing I've ever done. And I really tried to paint the book where it was like someone like you or someone that's in the program can look at it and go, oh my God, I've done that. Or I'm still doing that. Or I used to do that because those parts of us, if the trauma comes up, it could come back to you. You can find yourself at a coffee shop starting to flirt with someone and not even realizing you're doing it because a part of you just got triggered or just had trauma. I mean, that's what it started with that. Someone close to me died. And those behaviors I used to do it as a younger girl all came rushing back. And I started reaching outside of myself, give me the attention, fill me, make me feel worthy, make me feel loved because inside I felt so worthless and unlovable. And so I really wanted to make a book like a really long share, looking back at the why, here's the things that happened. Here's the voices in an addict's head. Here's when an addict says, I'm not going to go do that. And then they go do it. Here's your friend (laughs) that calls you and says, I'm not going back to him. He's horrible. He did this. He treated me like this. And then the next time you talk to her, she's back with him. And you're like, what? Like, do you know how many times you've had that conversation? Well, I try to walk people through what goes on when you're addicted to somebody or you can't let go of somebody. Yeah. Somebody who's not emotionally available too. I mean, that seems to be a real big deal. Yeah. Usually if you're picking somebody emotionally unavailable, it's because some part of you is unavailable, honestly. And that's what I work on with people. And that's really good to hear. Yeah. So what do you do with people? Are you doing coaching and that kind of thing? I talk about it, but I've been working with like really high profile clients that 
can't go to meetings a lot. So I try to help them get to a place Mm. where they are letting go of those outside things to complete them. I've been working with them for a long time. So while I'm like acting, like talking to somebody across the world, being a mom, being a, yeah, I don't know how you're doing all this. And I think it's so interesting too, because you'd said to me, you didn't want to get married and you didn't want to have kids. Nope. And I didn't want to write a book either. And you didn't want to write a book, (laughs) but you're doing, I mean, you're writing a second book, potentially Mm -hmm. a third, it sounds like. Yes. And I mean, you're in it, girl. Like there's no going back now. Like this is your calling. Yeah. And that's what I I was talking to you about. And I, and I had this moment, it was like, oh my God, this is bigger than me. It it actually has nothing to do with me. And that's what I try. I take myself out of it. I, I didn't write the book when I was doing the audio book, I was practicing because I am dyslexic and I have ADHD and never wanted to write a book. And I was practicing acting it out and reading it. And I turned to my husband and I was like, this is really good. Like I said that to him, like I had no idea. And he's like, yeah, it is. I told you that. And I said, I don't remember writing it. He's like, well, you wrote it. And I said, I know, but it wasn't really me. It was like something bigger than me. And so I'm just trying to stay out of my way. I try to show up for what the day is. I hit my knees every morning. I hit my knees every night saying, God, whatever your will is for me today, take me out of it and just let me be of service. Because the one thing I do want to do is really help people that are suffering. People that are suffering in these long-term relationships are going from relationship to relationship or on dating apps, swiping left and right, thinking they're waiting to find that perfect person because that doesn't Mm. exist. So And that younger generation that's addicted to porn, it's just desensitizing our society. In my program, it's like an epidemic. Young boys are coming in so disconnected from their sexuality and young girls over-sexualizing to try to get that attention. So I'm just looking at it like if I can help one person not go out into the world and hurt another person then I've done my job because it's that ripple effect. You throw a stone and you see that ripple when you in the water. When I was in my disease, I saw myself hurt someone and then they hurt their next partner. And it was yep. so on and so on. And now I want to make the ripple that I create. I help that person. Then that person doesn't use someone else and so on and so on. People that are listening are probably like, how did she finally realize she was a sex and love addict? They're going to have to read the book. They're going to have to read the book (laughs) and, or listen to the book, which I did. And like how you met your husband. I mean, there's so many questions, but I'm sad because I know we have to, we're running out of time, but I do think the second book will be really interesting. How are people in Hollywood? How do they feel about this? So interesting. I have a lot of people that love it and they want to turn it into a TV show. So my husband and I wrote the pilot for the book and it is, it was three books. And my husband's like, actually this book needs to happen at the end. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, fine. Yeah. So a lot of people are loving it, but you know, it is such a taboo topic. So some people read it and don't say anything to me. Is that right? Oh yeah. But I get it. Even like friends, because there's something about holding up a mirror and saying like, here's all the bad things I've said, done, thought, and people I know, and here's this community that can make you better, but you have to really do the work. People don't want to actually do the work. Do the work. No. So I just try to go where 
I can be of service. And I don't try to pressure anybody to like do the work, but I have to tell you, it's really hard. It's really hard to watch my friends and people I love and people in the business go from relationship to relationship. And there's nothing I can do to help them unless they want to help themselves. I just want to say one thing on that before we close, like, and this is a pretty uh, candid admission and Mm -hmm but it's true. And I've had this conversation with my husband multiple times. And of course with therapy that I've done for 20 years, but I came to the realization when I started dating him, we, we struggled a lot in the very beginning of our relationship Mm -hmm. because I didn't think I deserved him. Yeah. He was so good to me in so many ways. And I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, why are you still here? look at all my issues and my flaws and all these things that I carry from my childhood, but you're still here. And I don't understand why you're still here. It's interesting what happened because we had a lot of, you know, discussions in the beginning that were really heated. And I was the instigator of that. I was the self-sabotager. Oh yeah. You were just sabotaging left and right. I bet a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And candidly in my mind, I was like, if you don't like it, I'm going to go find somebody else. Peace out. That's what I always say. Like, peace peace out. out. Yeah. And what's interesting about that selfish mindset, and I realize now over the years, I've, I've figured it out, but even more so after listening to your book, like I was really sick at that time and I hadn't come to terms with my own awakening that needed to happen. Yeah. And I remember him saying to me, like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) My husband has said that too. Right? Like, (laughs) I'm not leaving you. If anyone leaves this, it's going to be you, but it's not Mm going to be me. And I just kept thinking like, what the fuck's wrong with him? (laughs) You're like, I'm doing all this stuff to push him away, but he's not going anywhere. (laughs) He's not going anywhere. We've been married 15 years. We've, we've, we've definitely had our struggles. I mean, having a, having a son, it's his stepson, but having a son with mental health and addiction issues and all the other things, like it's put a strain as you can imagine. Well, having just a kid in general, I mean, we've been together for almost 17 years and just, if you do not deal with this stuff, it's going to come out another way. And usually it will come down to the kids. And that's where my husband and I, we want to do the work so that our son will not act out the same way. He will not turn into substance or people or or overworking or shopping or eating, whatever you want to name it, that he can be okay with just being okay. He will know how to feel his feelings without trying to numb them. And that's the whole thing. Our society doesn't teach us how to have feelings and get through them. They say, go turn on TV, watch Netflix. Don't feel like, and it's just like, let's just put it all out there and say, Hey, listen, I just feel as broken and as alone and not good enough as you. And let's talk about it and, and go like, I want to sabotage my relationship, but I need to look at my stuff not to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's just so amazing just how far you've come. I feel like we would be friends. If you we lived, would be, <laughs> if you lived in Portland, but why the hell would you, but we've already decided like when I'm in the desert, like we got to figure out a way to meet because I do love your story and I just feel such a connection to you uh, with this, with this particular topic. It feels really good to see like all the work that you've done and how it's just not wavering. When you say like, I am in love with who I am, regardless of anyone else around me, 
That's a really strong, bold statement to make. And you've got to believe that. Like you've got it. That isn't something you just say, like you've got to believe that. And I feel the same way at the end of the day, when you're alone and it's just you and you're ready, it's your time to go. Someone may be holding your hand or not, but they're not going with you. You got to be, they're not going with you. Nothing's going going with you. you. The money's not going, the title, the, the Bentley, whatever the purse, nothing's going with you. You're going by yourself alone, just your soul. And that's what was most important to me. And listen, believe me, I have bad days. Last night I was spinning at 3 a.m. being like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I still have those addict voices, but now I have the tools so that I don't go out in this world telling other people to fix me, that I have the tools now where I can pray. I can meditate. I can write a gratitude list. I can get on a meeting. I can call my sponsor. I can talk to my husband, all those things instead of like self-sabotaging my life. God, I adore you. Oh, I adore you too. (laughs) So like a love fest. (laughs) It's a total love fest. So as, as we're kind of wrapping up, I Mm want to know, like, how do people follow you? I mean, I know your Instagram, but let's talk about your Instagram. What is it again? At the Brianne Davis. And then my TikToks at the dot Brianne Davis. And I try to make all my videos about sex and love addiction, trying to break the stigma and I have fun with it. I, I'm so sick of people talking about this disease and it's like sad and and depressing. And it is, it's really scary disease, but I want to bring it out into the light and that we can all get through it. So yeah, follow me. If you have any questions, DM me, I'll send you meeting information. I try to answer all my DMs. And then if you want to get the book, it's exclusively at Amazon. Now it's free on Amazon unlimited. We made it free so people can read it. Secret life of a Hollywood sex and love addict. And you can get a signed copy on secretlifenovel.com. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's exciting. Okay. I didn't know that. And yeah. then, well, you're doing all of your podcast stuff too, right? Yeah. Like, so, so how do people find you on that? Secret Life Podcast. It's the one with the secret. So I have people come on that are anonymous or very well known telling me a past or present secret that they got through or going through. And it's wow. everything from funny secrets like stealing food at from Whole Foods at Jeff Bezos because they hate Jeff Bezos so much. Or it's like <laughs> really a lot of them are really dark coming out stories, shooting themselves in the chest with a shotgun when they couldn't reach perfectionism and how they survived using abortions oh. as form of birth control, getting sexually assaulted by their OBGYN after giving birth to their son. There's some really dark ones, but there's really fun ones also. Like wow, one of our recent ones is, she worked for Heidi Fleiss as a call girl in Hollywood and she takes that secret life. And yeah, I'm really proud of the show. We've done 67 episodes and we have enough in the can for another year and a half. So is that right? Yeah. God, that's amazing. Well, it's really hard for me not to tell you how beautiful you are, Aww, but thanks. I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Thank you. But what I love about you is your spirit, the light that just shines from you. It's like, I just, I just see it and I just feel it. And I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because following you on Instagram, you are who you are. Like there's no difference. You know what I mean? Like, you know how sometimes people are like a certain way Yeah, and then, yeah, but you're not, you're so real and so authentic. And I think that's why you're in this position that you're in, like, this is your calling for sure. Thank you. Maybe you should go into being a therapist like your therapist was who helped you. 
Like maybe, who knows, whatever God has in store for me. I'm just showing up every day. And I think for so long, I had a mask on top of a mask on top of a mask. And every situation I went in, I felt like it was somebody else. Yeah. So now I just try to be the same person in every room I'm in and whoever I'm with, it doesn't matter. This is me. Oh man, you are amazing, Brianne. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> thank you so much. I feel like we hit everything. Oh, wait, one last thing. Can you yeah. give me the stats? Because I think that's so important. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? So I always like to say that 6% of the United States are sex and love addicts. So that's 30 million people are sex and love addicts. And 38% of those are women. And that statistic was 2017. And I have to tell you, it's just blown up. There's meetings all over the world. There's meetings in Bali. Los Angeles is the biggest community, but then it's New York, London, Sydney, and then they're everywhere else. So it's just amplifying. And if you are struggling out there and any of this resonates, please reach out to me. Please go to the SLAW website, type in slaa.org and you can get information, look at the characteristics, look at the 40 questions and all of that. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. It was so good having you on the show. My gosh. Thanks for having me and spreading the message. It really means a lot, honestly. Wow. So that was interesting. After listening to Brianne's story, I would imagine that you now have a clearer understanding of what a sex and love addict is really about. At least I know I do. The commonality in most addictions is that lack of feeling that you're worthy or you have a fear of abandonment or even that feeling of whether or not you're ever really going to be truly loved. And I think what I learned from this episode is that is the actual cornerstone of sex and love addiction. I hope Brianne's fearless story brought less shame and more normalcy to this topic. And her book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict can be found on Amazon. And please keep an eye out for her second book to be released. I don't know when, but I can't wait. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode and all the other episodes that we have on Light from the Rabbit Hole. So please send me a message on our website, lightfromtherabbithole.com. Follow, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. It would mean so much to me. Until next time. 